How do multifamily owners retain renters and increase net operating income? Well, we're on a journey to find out. You're listening to Amenitize or Die, tactics and strategies from front lines of multifamily. I'm your host, Scott Patterson, Marine Corps veteran and founder of Tumble Smart Laundry, on a mission to increase NOI through your shared laundry experience. Today, we have Brian Briscoe of Streamline Capital and the host of Diary of an Apartment Investor, which you can find streaming on all major podcast platforms. Uh, Brian, welcome. Hey, thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and thanks for uh, your time today. Yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked to have, I mean, like, first of all, you're a Marine, right? So uh, always, yes, always great to, to <laughs> always we great. Are to Marines. We are Marines. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, you're, you have a fantastic, you know, record of, of multifamily investment and you're, you're very much an influencer in the syndication space, I would say. Um, so stoked to have you on and, and, and talk today. Awesome. Yeah. Happy to be on too. And, um, you know, from one veteran to another, thanks for your service and thanks for, you know, what you're doing inside the multifamily community as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, all right. So first things first, right. Marine background, how do you get into investing in multifamily or even just in, in properties in general? You know, I, I would say, um, I was somewhat a reluctant, you know, Marine careerist. I ended up spending 20 years, but, uh, um, but yeah, I know it's, it's one of those things. Um, I remember in, in high school saying to one of my friends, you know, that, that, you know, the dumbest decision he made was enlisting. And I remember, I don't even remember what service he went into, you know, but, uh, um, September 12th is when I, you know, 2001 is when I decided to go active duty, you know, and it was basically, you know, everybody knows what happened the day before that was, that was kind of my, you know, the, the trigger for me, so to speak. Um, and you know, I, I got in, I, I went, went through the, the basic officer training and, you know, got my first duty station and it was Okinawa, Japan and, you know, somewhat <laughs> I, excited, I, somewhat, yeah. you know, maybe a little upset, a little upset, excited at the same time, but, uh, didn't imagine living on the other side of the world, but that's, that's kind of what happens when you, when you join the military. Um, but somewhere along the line, you know, I was, I was the, um, I was the admin officer at my unit. Um, it wasn't what my job was supposed to be. So I was, you know, equally depressed because that's not a job <laughs> I want. Um, and I remember having to notarize. Um, it was, the guy was a Marine Corps captain at the time. He ended up retiring as a lieutenant colonel a couple of years before me. But I remember notarizing a document for him when he was buying an investment property. You know, and I was like, so I, I just started asking him questions about that. And, you know, it was it was fascinating. And I was just thinking, OK, you know, so I think that's really what put it on my radar. And, you know, I, I talked to him and a couple other people and I met a couple of people who basically every time they moved would buy a single family home. You know, and they just said, "Hey, you know, if I if I spend 20 years in the in the, in the Marine Corps and I leave with eight to 10 single family homes, you know, it's, it's just a, a good way to build wealth. And so that was, that was my plan. And I, I went to, uh, um, you know, went to online bookstores at the time, you know, I think Barnes and Noble and Amazon.com where it had just moved into the, you know, book selling space on the, on the internet and um, bought a couple of books on single family homes. And that's, that's really what started it. Um, it was probably 2004 timeframe that, that this all happened. And, um, I moved back to the States in 2006 and, 
Um, incidentally, I, I really wanted to get out of the Marine Corps after my first obligation, but I had two kids and I was living in Japan. And this is before, you know, job searches online, you know, across the, the world were really a thing. So this is, this is pre-transition assistance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and even, even now the transition assistance isn't that great. You know, I went through it, uh, you know, a year ago and it was, eh. but, uh, it's, it's exactly what is mandated by law is what it is. But, uh, yeah. um, so I, I decided, I literally put my finger on one job that the Marine Corps had to offer and said, if I get that job, I'll stay in. And they gave me exactly what I wanted. So moved to uh, San Diego. I was working at San Diego State University, and I was at the the Naval ROTC program. So I was a staff member at uh, San Diego State. Um, but I started looking in Southern California for my first house, and the the plan was buy, live in it, and then when we leave it, turn it into a rental. And uh, fortunately, you know, I just couldn't see how the numbers worked, you know, um, it was 2006 and, you know, a lot of people know what happened, you know, there was a big run up on prices and we ended up renting a place and I was really upset that we had to rent. Um, so I, I started looking in other markets. I grew up in Salt Lake city, started looking in Salt Lake city and eventually found a place to buy in Salt Lake. And that was, that was the first investment property. And we bought it in 2007. Um, put some renters into it and um, except for, you know, a, a probably a six week period, it was, it was occupied almost the entire time that we owned it. So ended up being a really good investment. We bought it pre crash, but you know, I, I, I was never really worried about it just because the cash flow paid the mortgage, you know, and we didn't, yeah, well, we didn't come out of pocket on it. Um, and, and what, what timely, you know, I mean, so here's, here's something that people are really worried about now, right. With mm-hmm. inflation and, and, you know, we've had a huge run up in, in property prices as well. But I mean, one of those things is like, if, if you can price a property in a way that it's going to be occupied, even through a, an economic downturn, I mean, that, that's a gem in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, people are worried about the, the pricing, you know, how much, you know, the, the properties themselves are worth. What happens if the properties go down? That's only part of the equation. I mean, if, if you're cash flowing, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter if the prices go down, they're eventually going to come back up. You know, the, the Fed's target is a 2% inflation rate, you know, with, with inflation where it's at right now, prices have nowhere to go but up. You know, unless unless the Fed leaves interest rates high, but even if they leave interest rates high, eventually pricing is going to come back up to match. You know, so you know, it, as long as you're thinking, you know, more than six to twelve months on your um, your investment horizon, you're going to be okay. Especially if you're cash flowing. Um, where where people get in, into problems is where they're not cash flowing and they have to come out of pocket, and you know, then they're they're not able to meet their their financial obligations. But yeah, I mean, we were cash flowing. I mean, um, we may have been underwater on our loan for a little bit, but we were cash flowing, right? But uh, um, post crash, we bought our second investment property, moved into it. Um, it was in San Diego and uh, it, we probably got it about 40% off of the peak, you know, so the, the previous owner had paid, you know, for something for it, you know, closer to 500. 
and I think we we ended up buying it for three hundred five in San Diego. But uh, um, you know that that was basically the start. And then you know fast forward, you know several years later, you know I didn't buy any other investment properties from there. Um, you know we did buy a single family house that we were going to turn into an investment property. Um, but we didn't, we ended up selling that one, but, uh, um, long story short from there, you know, my, my next big jump was 2018 where, you know, I decided to jump into, to multifamily and, um, you know, from between 2018 and today, you know, I've, I've been a part of 10 different, um, you know, multifamily deals as a general partner, you know, meaning putting the deal together on the management side and, um, total of 655 units and, you know, really close, I think to the, to the next deal, even, even in today's economy, I'm super yeah. excited about it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, so making that jump from single family into multifamily, I mean, what were you, what were you looking for? Like how, I mean, it's kind of a different property style, different, different, you know, I mean, I'm sure you weren't like looking at cap rates and like a whole bunch of things like that. I'm sure that was part of it, but you know, like really like, how did you even look at those, those, those properties? You know, for, for me, I, I tried to boil it down as simply as possible. You know, everybody has to live somewhere. And that, that's one of the magic of single family homes. You know, as long as you're in an area where demand is constant, you're going to have people who want to rent your property. Obviously you got to keep the property in good condition, but, uh, um, the basically what I was looking at is, you know, how many single family homes is it going to take me to meet my magical number of, you know, passive income? And the answer was like 60. You know, I, I did some basic spreadsheeting and it was like, man, at, at today's prices, at today's interest rates, at today's rents, and it would take 60 homes for me to get the passive income that I wanted. And you know, I, I figured at the time that I could probably close on two to three a year. And I started scratching my head. I'm like, 20 to 30 years? I'm like, I'm already 40 years old. That's not going to work, you know? I mean, um, so I, I started looking at how to scale faster, you know? And a, a couple of things came up. You know, I could use other people's money and figure out how to, you know, buy more single family faster. But then I discovered apartments. And that just, you know, met you know, all of my head, my, my reservations and everything that I was looking to do was be able to, you know, figure out how to scale faster. And I, I saw multifamily as a, you know, buy one, get one or buy one, get 20 sale, you know? So if, if you're looking at a hundred units, it's, you know, one purchase, you get a hundred units instead of a single family where it takes a hundred purchases to get a hundred units. So right. that's really what it was for me was just, you know, a way to scale and a way to, get to where I wanted to go faster, you know, and, uh, you know, granted, you know, looking, looking back at it, I, I probably could have done, you know, something similar with single family using other people's money, but ended up getting into syndication, you know, where we, we go out, we look for the properties, um, we put everything together and we, um, go out to our friends, family, and people in our network and, and ask them if they want to invest with us. And, that's uh, that's our model, and it's it's been fairly successful so far. Yeah, I mean, so now you've done a, a few of these, right? Mm -hmm. Ten, at least ten, right? Ten, yep. And um, so, how, you know, more more money, more scale, more problems, right? So, what are what are some of the what are some of the learnings here? 
You know, it's it's not as easy. I, I think with a with a couple of single family homes. I mean, first of all, I wasn't treating it like a business. You know, I was, I was, I was the owner that didn't call the property manager until something was really wrong. You know, so I wasn't really managing it. And I think up front, I kind of had the idea that you know, I'm spending an hour a month, you know, managing my single family portfolio and. You know, um, you know, most of that is getting the statements, looking over the statements and, you know, entering into my bookkeeping system. But uh, um, I, I kind of made the assumption that, you know, the the management of the portfolio wouldn't be all that difficult. Right. So um, that was that was part of it. You know, it, it's it's a, it's a lot more time consuming managing a portfolio than 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 what I had imagined. Um, property managers. Uh, I think people in general are inherently lazy, you know, so, you know, property managers and, and Marines too, I'm sure you, you've, you've oh. seen it all over the place, you know, I, people, I'm actually, I'm actually yeah. a chemist and, uh, I, I actually attribute this to, to physics. Entropy. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. We'll use, uh, uh, a reaction will go forward with the least amount of energy possible yeah. <laughs> and only the least amount of energy possible. Yeah. And, and I think property managers, I mean, and quite frankly, it's probably the same in everything I do, you know, but, uh, you know, if, if I'm raising a million dollars, I put just enough energy to raise a million dollars, you know, I'm not going to try to raise two, but, uh, um, anyway, end, end of the day, you know, we, we realized, or I realized that it took a lot of time making sure the property managers were doing everything we wanted them to do. You know, and there was a lot of pushback and there was a lot of, you know, um, well, hey, you know, you're only paying us this much. There's only so much your your money's gonna, you know. Um, so that that was part of it was um, was was the management issue, and I think another part was, um, you know, our, our first property. There, there's a big barrier to entry getting into multifamily, and you know, we started we we kind of tried to sidestep that barrier to entry by going to locations that were a little less competitive, if that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, smaller markets where there, there's fewer people looking for the, the apartments and smaller apartments, you know, so where, where there was less competition. And I mean, those, those deals can do well, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's a little bit harder. There's more work to make sure those deals go well. So I think the next thing that I, that I learned is, you know, location does matter. And, you know, I'm, I'm almost, I, I just read a, a book that Donald Trump wrote in the nineties and maybe late eighties. And there, there's a quote, um, I, I was looking for it the other day, but his philosophy was to buy the best property in, on the best street in the best neighborhood in the best city. And I'm, I'm starting to see the wisdom Why? in that <laughs> yeah, because there's some, there's always going to be a buyer for that. You know, right. if you're, if you're buying the, the the property that's easy to buy, that's uh, you know in in a small town, um, there may not always be a buyer for that. So I think that's the next lesson learned, and you know the the way I'm applying that to my to my my future is, uh, you know, I'm going to be partnering with people who have been able to have a, a strong track record of managing properties um, in cities that uh, are in, in the larger metros that have a lot of, I guess, tailwinds and large enough properties where there's always going to be a buyer, you know, so, you know, properties where, you know, hedge funds, you know, could potentially come in, come in and buy places too. So, 
anyway, that's those those are the lessons learned up front and how I'm adjusting and how I'm pivoting to, you know, make sure that you know my money's safe and the people who invest with me, you know, their money is also safe. I mean, so it, it's it's I mean, so I, I live in San Francisco. Um, and we're now finally coming out of the, the sort of pandemic, uh, hit, I mean, rents have just now finally gone above what they were pre pandemic, um, huge return to the city. It's, it's all sorts of lively again, but you know, it kind of goes back to what you said, like even uh, it's New York as well, right? New York was a total ghost town in 2020 and right now you, you literally can't get an apartment. Like there are just crazy videos out there with lines for every single apartment for rent. So, um, I, I, you know, it, it's like that old real estate adage, right? Location, location, location. Yeah, it is. And, um, I, you know, I, and of course, like we do laundry, right? We do mm-hmm. specifically, we do laundry for the, for multifamily properties. And it's always interesting to kind of hear, how people think about it. Right. So especially, so for you, you're, you're technically an asset manager, right? And, and we run into this all the time because we work with both owner owned and fee managed properties. And I always feel like the owner owned properties, like mm-hmm. just, they understand what we're doing immediately yeah. because we're like, look, like, are you in the laundry business or are you in the property business? Cause we're going to help you with your property business. And we're going to take yeah. you out of the laundry business. So with fee manage, I, I do feel like we run into a little bit of a problem where like the property managers really understand the problem, really understand mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. But then sometimes there's a disconnect at the asset level where they're looking at a, a laundry revenue line item and not understanding sort of the bigger picture. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and we, we've had we've had various models. We've had a couple of apartment complexes where we've bought the the laundry facilities with the property and we've had a couple of properties where we've um basically hired services and i remember talking with you you know a year ago you guys weren't quite out in the areas where we were operating in but uh i, I mean yeah. we are now <laughs> yeah yeah so we, where we had similar services and i mean uh, there's there's lots of benefits to not having to worry about laundry you know it's um there's there's a whole lot of benefits and um, you know, one, one thing that I, that I, I really think about is, you know, the, the times where we've had to use, you know, laundry services ourselves and, um, you know, Marine Corps war story, you know, not really oh, yeah. war story, but, uh, retired last year and, you know, the military moves you to, you know, wherever you end up at. And we have two washing machines. The movers broke both, oh. right. You know, both of them ended up broken. And so um, we had to end up going to, to laundry facilities ourselves. And it really got me thinking on, you know, what uh, what's important to us as far as the laundry facilities, you know. And um, I, I know you guys take care of everything that, but, you know, it, it's got to be easy and it's got to be available. You know, and if, if you can make it easy for the tenant, it's good for the it's good for the manager, for the asset manager, and it's good for the tenant, you know, uh, I think the last thing that, uh, and my, my wife had to do this a couple of times, you know, go to the bank to get a roll of coins before she goes to the laundry facility. And it's just yeah. like, it's dumb, but, uh, you know, a lot of laundry facilities still do it. But anyway, um, I mean, we literally call it dumb laundry. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we, yeah. everything that's not tumble is basically dumb laundry because yeah, I mean, you know, now there's, now there's apps and people are like, oh, we have an app, but it's like, 
but it's not the full thing, right? Yeah. And the apps don't usually work. They're not really meant to make the experience easier. They're really meant to just be for payment. Yep. Um, but, you know, for us, it was always about the user. It was always about the experience. And it was always about taking it off of the hands of the property management, mm -hmm. right? Like, there's no reason, like, you have other things to go worry about. Like, go lease the property. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, go. And the other thing is, like, a lot of these buildings that we're in, the laundry room's the most used amenity. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's like a crucial part of the entire experience yeah. of that property. Clubhouse is not used very often. And, cool. Yeah, and to, surprisingly yeah. unused very often, you know, and right. uh, um, we, we found that, you know, small workout rooms aren't used very often. Right. All right. If you want the weight room or the workout room to be used, you've got to dedicate a large amount of square footage to it until it looks like an actual gym. And but I think you what you hit the nail on the head, the laundry is something that everybody's going to use at some point. Right. And, and And why would you not invest in the most? used amenity right yeah. like twenty five hundred dollars a turn like like if for to for if an apartment turns over mm -hmm. you know if that's the number like your laundry revenue is nowhere near that usually so mm -hmm. um yeah no i mean it's been interesting to, to talk in in this space but what other amenities i mean you know you talk a little bit about the gym i, I feel like the gym is like the most contested amenity in the entire world right like yeah uh, i saw a post on linkedin that was like uh, you know, yeah, 20% of people may use the gym, but 90% of people will think they will. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, okay, that's, that's, that's true. But like, yeah. what do you look for in amenities when you're looking at properties? Um, it depends on the property that we're looking for. You know, we've done C class, B class, and I'm about ready to jump into a deal that's going to be an A class. And there, there's a different level of amenities for each asset class, you know, C class tenants, can't really afford the amenities, if that makes sense. So they're going to yeah. be paying lower rents. And from those lower rents, the owner can't afford to bring them a lot of the amenities. So for C-Class, we're looking for bang for buck on amenities, you know. So uh, typically, you know, like a off-leash pet area is... Oh, nice. Yeah, it's it's really easy to do. It's It's a chain link fence. You know, and, you know, maybe a, a sitting station and, you know, maybe, you know, a place where they can grab the little, you know, trash bags, you know, the little tiny doo-doo bags. But uh, that, that's one thing that does extremely well, you know, picnic tables and barbecue pits. You know, once again, they're, they're fairly inexpensive to put in place um, and they do actually get used. And it's, it's I, I think it's similar. It's like you, you come in and you see those. And you're like, oh, good, you know, we can we can barbecue without having to go to, you know, buy ourselves a, a grill. Um, well, and yeah. like my apartment doesn't even allow you to have a grill on your deck. Like Most you have don't. to go use. Yeah. Like because yeah. they don't want people to burn the building down. Right. Which Most don't. And we, we've had enough fires in, in our buildings. <laughs> I mean, once you become an apartment owner, you, you know, you have to deal with fires. It just happens. Yeah. But uh, um, yeah. So, you know, so th those amenities tend to be very popular in the C-class you know, and it, it, like I said, it, it, it's the things that, you know, are low cost and, you know, high bang for buck when, when you get into your C-class assets. And as far as, you know, apartment size, I mean, you, we usually don't start putting, you know, laundry in, you know, until we get to a certain size, you know, how, how often is it going to be used? How much is it going to cost? Um, I think the smallest property that we have on site laundry 
is a 36 unit, you know, and then, you know, once you get into 36 and above, just about everything that we have has some sort of on-site laundry facility. Actually, we have a 36 unit that does and a 40 unit that doesn't. So right, right around that point, um, and, and we're, we're in South Carolina and most of my properties are South Carolina and Georgia, but, uh, you know, laundry is, you know, once you, once you hit the, the magic size for laundry to make sense, um, you know, laundry is, is kind of the next thing. And that's something that if you look at all of our income statements, the, the single biggest revenue line besides rent is the laundry income every time. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean. I mean, in, unless people aren't using it, right? And then it's like kind of a question, yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, we, we did, we inherited, we inherited one that was a coin based and we ended up putting in, um, you know, the card, just, just Wi-Fi card readers and the difference between Coinbase and card readers, we went from, um, in this particular property, about a hundred dollars a month in laundry revenue to $400 a month in laundry yeah. revenue, you know, and this is, this is, that was the first purchase we made, which is a 36 unit. So, you know, just, just going from coin operated to card readers, you know, and, um, you know, tr significantly in increased the laundry income. Um, so definitely, definitely ended up being well worth, um, well worth the money we put into, to getting that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, laundry's a, I mean, it's, it's like a weird way. It's a weird thing to work in. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those things. It's like, well, everyone does laundry and everyone has to deal with it some way. So, yeah. um, so for your syndicators, right. When you're, when you're going out, so now you're doing larger properties, mm -hmm. right. Are there any amenity strategies that you are looking for? Do you do value add where you're looking for rooms to change things up? Yeah. Um, how do you put those packages together when you're, when you're kind of being at that GP, bringing that whole sort of financial package together of why someone should invest? You know, I, I think, you know, it, it has to make sense. So when we look at it, when we look at most things that I've been involved with um, have been some sort of value add play where you're coming in with a renovation budget, you're going to make things look nicer. And um, another thing I've learned over the last several years is you should be taking an outside in approach. You know, if you're just renovating the inside of units, you know, nobody sees the difference, you know, the, the current tenants don't see the difference. And there, there's not a real reason for them to pay more money for their unit, if they're not getting any benefits. So, you know, we, we tend to do an outside in approach. And we, we start making, you know, the exteriors thing, the things that you have to walk outside your unit for including amenities, and we start making those better, you know, we either in the case of like the dog off-leash off pet areas, you know, we'll, we'll add that in. We'll add the picnic tables. We'll add the grills. Um, but when we get into the larger apartment complexes where they come with some of the, the, the amenities like the pools, you know, we'll tend to front load a lot of the amenitization because, you know, if we're, if we're looking at a 200-unit property, we want to be able to raise rents on all 200 units pretty quickly. And if you come in and you add the amenities, you can justify raising the rents on all 200 units and not just the ones that you're upgrading. So anyway, I think there, there's a lot more bang for your buck if you take the outside in approach and you start looking at, you know, curb appeal, you know, 
making sure that the, the property looks nice, make sure the asphalt is black and the roofs are, um, the, the roofs look nice and exteriors are in good shape. And then after that, you know, you're, you are looking at the amenities, you know, and how yeah. can we make the tenant experience better? And if, if you can improve the quality of life just a little bit, you can justify higher rents and, one additional bonus is, you know, you're also going to have a, a stickier tenant base, you know, people who aren't going to move out, you know, so uh, a lot more lease renewals, which, you know, you, you avoid that turn cost or you push those turn costs down the road, you know, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's really kind of the approach we take is, is more outside in and, you know, being able to talk to the investors, talk to the investors through that, Hey, we have, you know, this much of money, you know, allocated to the interiors, this much money allocated to the exteriors, you know, to, to get the investors on board, we just try to paint the picture of what, you know, what improvements we are going to make, how it's going to improve the quality of life, and then translate to how that's going to, um, how that's going to affect the operating statement, the financial statement. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I always like, I always want to like encourage people to think outside the box. Right. So then mm -hmm. the, the other thing is like these scale things. So like we just bid on a 410 unit property. Um, the, what they're worried about. So we, we tend to charge a little bit more than the mm -hmm. other, uh, folks out there just cause of, you know, all the things that we provide. Um, and we were like, look, okay. Even if you were to do the same gross revenue last year, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and we, we took our little bit more that equates to $6 a unit. And mm -hmm. if we can't increase the value of that property and that unit rent by $6, then like, what are we doing? Yeah. Right. And of course, like we're also increasing gross and all this other things, but you know, it's like, Hey, like, let's really break down what you're fighting over mm -hmm. because we're going to help you not only get that $6, but probably like. 60 or a hundred dollars and your investment is six dollars yeah so i'll tell you i'll tell you one of the amenities that people look for and this is in unit um there's a big difference in price in a in a unit that has washer and dryer hookups just having the washer and dryer hookups you can probably charge 50 to 60 dollars more per month for a unit right. and then if you're you know leasing the washer and dryer to them you know, you, you can, you're probably, depending on what market you're in, I mean, it, it's going to vary by market, but you know, we're, um, South Carolina and Georgia are, is, is where, you know, my, my numbers come from, but taking, going from a unit without washer and dryer hookups to a unit with, with washer and dryer hookups and owner provided washers and dryers, you're looking at about a hundred, hundred to $150 a month more in monthly rent. So you know, if, if the facilities are there, you know, I, I think a lot of people would be, people would be stupid not to make sure that amenity is, is there and working. Well, I mean, so the, in, the in-unit argument is always like, can you get the uplift in rent? Like number mm -hmm. one and number two is what is the cost, the switching cost, right? Yep. So, you know, do you have a, a large enough apartment to do it? Does it mm -hmm. make sense the way that you're going to do it? Cause let me tell you, I've seen some terribly executed in units. Yeah. Um, and you know, what is, what is the recoup? Cause in San Francisco, it's $8,000 a unit mm. to install a washer and dryer typically. Wow. So, 
Um, and that, you know, so it's like, what is the market? Right. And it's like, well, maybe if we just made the shared laundry a little bit better, yeah. uh, we can also get that uplift. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's situation by situation. Uh, we, we see it all the time. We see people switching over, um, or that's on their 10 year plan and they're not quite there yet or whatever. Um, but you know, obviously we work with that all the time. Um, so I, I mean, wrapping up here, mm-hmm. I always kind of like turn it over. Right. So apartment syndicator, you know, yeah. what, what, what's, what's your, what do you want? What do you want the world to know about, about Brian Briscoe? You know, there, there, there's a couple of ways that, uh, you know, I've, I've positioned myself to help people who are interested in investing and, you know, number one, I am a syndicator. So if people are looking to invest in, in real estate, um, you know, passively, I, I can definitely help with that. Um, Streamline Capital Group is is the company that uh, the aims at solving that that need. Um, and the website streamlinecapitalgroup.com. And then if people are interested in doing what we do, learning how to syndicate, you know, that's that's something else that uh, you know I, I can help with. Over, over the last couple of years, I've built a, a platform and a community that helps people learn how to do what we've done to, you know, become a syndicator. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, the community is called the tribe of Titans and you can find that the website's the tribe of Titans.info. Um, you can go to the tribe of Titans.com as well, but, uh, that's, that's just the, the, the sign up, um, the sign up portion. But, uh, anyway, that's, that's really, you know, where, where I can be of help to, to anybody who's listening. Um, whether you want to invest passively or if you want to jump in with two feet like I did and be active uh, in finding the apartment complexes. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Brian. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I appreciate your time. All right. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, if you want to connect with us, you can find us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Amenitize or Die. Thank you for listening.